We're going to walk through the parables for the next, not all of them, several. Depending upon what scholar you look at, there's between 23 and like 60 parables. And some of them are one line long, one sentence, and some are whole sections. And so we're wanting to walk through the teachings of Jesus through the parables. And so we have to keep in our mind that every parable has typically a central theme. There's a, a one rule or one something trying to be taught or something conveyed. There's a singular thought in each parable. And we can self-identify with all areas of the parable, but every parable has a pretty clear meaning um, if we really dig into it. Now today we're going to look at three because they're taught in this triplet. And so each one has its own meaning. So at the end, don't call me a liar when I've got like three little points or meanings. Like, but Mike, I thought you said there's just one. Yeah, it's because there's three. It's just math. It's okay. We'll be all right. Nothing. Okay. Sorry. So what we're trying to go through is to see that there's a progression. There's a build. So Jesus in Matthew chapter 13 is teaching to this crowd. And he's going to lay out a parable. And then he's going to stick two more parables in there. And then he's going to go and tell the disciples what he meant by the first one. And so we're going to look at all of them in total, because I think if you just look at one by itself, you're missing it. And then next week, we're going to look at the second set of parables on Mother's Day. And so there's this message of Jesus coming back. There will be a judgment when he comes back, but there's hope. And I want you to see all this progress. So we start this week with kind of a foundation. The next week on on Mother's Day, we're going to see where our hope is found. Um, I'm going to give you a hint. It's in Jesus. Okay, let's pray, and then we're going to jump in. Dear Holy Father, thank you so much for this time again. And I pray you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear as we open up your word. Um, help us to sit under the authority of your scriptures. Um, help us to fight the temptation to put ourselves in charge of your words. Um, it never goes right when we do that, Lord. So help us. Help us to fight against the pride of our hearts and to submit. And that's a word we don't like to hear a lot in our culture. Um, but it's where we belong. We belong squarely under the wings of your name. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So we're going to look today, we're going to be in Matthew 13 for the next two weeks. Um, if you look at Matthew chapter 13, there's a, just a pile of parables. And we see that Matthew is driving us to this idea of what the kingdom of heaven is, the kingdom of God. And so we last week kind of looked at the explanation of why he's teaching in parables. And today we're going to look at the parable of the weeds. And we're going to look at the mustard seed and the leaven, and then he's going to explain it. And so once we put it all together, it'll make sense. So you might start to nod off in the beginning. Probably not, because I'm that engaging of a communicator, right? But then if you do, we'll bring it home at the end. Okay? So bear with me. Matthew 13. He put another parable. So this is Jesus again. He's just talked to the disciples. He's talked to the crowd. The disciples say, could you explain this to me? So he took them aside, explained it, and then he puts another one to the crowd. So you see this conversation happening. There's a crowd here listening to Jesus. The disciples say, I'm confused. He turns around and he addresses the disciples. Then he turns back to the crowd and begins to teach again. We're going to see here in just a second. He's going to turn around and address the disciples again. So there's this ebb and flow in this conversation where there is a multitude of people that want to hear from him, but then he's got, he's still got his boys. He's still got the close knit group of the the 12 that are near him, the inner circle of three. And then outside of that, we know he had about 120 people and that included men and women. So he's got this concentric circular leadership model happening. So he's speaking to the crowd and then he'll talk to the individuals. So he puts another parable before them saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. 
And it's key. We're going to look at this in these three parables. This one he's saying that the kingdom of heaven is compared to a man. And then he's going to talk about the mustard seed. He's going to talk about the leaven and bread. And he's going to say the kingdom of heaven is like these things. It's important. I know nobody wanted to pay attention in high school English. But you have that whole simile metaphor thing going on. Right? You remember all that? So it's like, so it's a simile. All right, we'll just move on. Never mind. So he's telling them the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man. We'll figure who the man is in a minute. So he's painting this picture that they're all going to understand. This is an agrarian society. It's like a man who came and planted good seed. In the middle of the night, the enemy came and he sowed weeds in the middle of your field. That's devastating to you. So the crowd hearing this would go, what? Like there's a good man, he's coming to plant good seed, and then an enemy comes in and plants the bad seed. That would be, I mean, think about how that would roll out. Not enough food, not enough to buy, or not enough to sell, to have money, to buy food, to provide. So he's telling this kind of very dastardly story. He continues on. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, do you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? So you're getting this, this picture of what, he's, what he means. And you're getting this dialogue, these questions of the servants. So you get this man who comes, he plants. The servants come and say, master. So here's a questioning tone. Aren't you good? Don't you plant goodness? Where did this evil come from? I mean, he's starting to dig into the question of why is there evil in the world? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why, you're good, so why don't you just make everyone good? And he says, I, I, the enemy has done this. The enemy did this. So the first reaction is they're questioning, they're questioning God. They're questioning Jesus. Don't you plant good, don't you plant good seed? How'd this bad happen? Where'd this come from? So the answer in the parable is, an enemy has done this. So the servant said, do you see how quickly this happens? Aren't you good? Oh, it was an enemy. Can I take care of it? They quickly go to, they want the authority of the man who planted. The, the servants quickly said, do you want us to go gather them? See how, how fast they shifted? They're questioning the master. I thought you were good. Oh, an enemy? We'll take care of that. What's Jesus say? He continues on in the parable. But he said, no. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So you're getting this picture. No, 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 no. You're not wise enough. You don't understand. You can't differentiate. Let me do this. I'll, I'll send the reapers. I will take care of this. Just let them grow together. Because if you... If you harvest them too soon, you're going to take out some of the good. You're going, to, you're, going to, you're going to chop down the good just to try to get at the bad. So just let them be. Let it happen. So get this picture. I think this is accurate. I just Googled it, so I'm not lying. It could be totally wrong. I was trying to find a picture of wheat and some tares, which it's considered a, a bearded darnel. I think it's a technical agricultural term. But it's a plant that when it's planted next to wheat, when it's first germinating, when it first comes out of the ground, it looks exactly like wheat. Only much later and it's, as it matures, does, is it clearly a weed. So you would have fields filled with wheat and you'd have fields filled with these weeds are growing right alongside it. 
And you can't tell which is which until there's a certain age of maturation where it happens. So if you went in and just chopped it all down, you'd be taking out the good and the bad. So Jesus is telling a very agricultural parable, saying this is how it happened. Now, I grew up in southern Indiana, so we saw machines like this a lot. So our human desire, our human function in agriculture is we're going to control this, right? I'm in charge of this. I'm doing this, and we're going to plant pesticide, we're going to plant seed, spray pesticides. It used to be just Roundup, and if you drive by like the test fields, you see the number, and this is a test field. We're going to see which is the good seed, which is the bad seed, what's happening, and we're in, we're in charge of this, Right? Well, Jesus is telling a parable that in an agricultural society you would understand. There's going to be bad grow up with the good. There's going to be good that's going to come of it, and there's going to be bad around it, and you'll know at the end of the harvest. So he's, he's teaching an agricultural parable that everyone would have identified with. Now, this is the part of the service where if you're teaching this parable, you're supposed to do a real fire and brimstone that there are good, there's good wheat in this room and there's horrible weeds and you will burn eventually. Like that's kind of where we're supposed to go with this, right? You've heard that preached before, correct? And there's maybe some truth to that, but we'll get there in a minute. That's not what, if we put the parables together, Jesus is offering some hope. So we can't just go immediately to which one of you are wheat? Which one of you we're going to weed you out? And it's fire and brimstone. Have a giant altar call. Let's make this happen. I don't think that's what Jesus is telling them here. And I know that because he continues on. He talks about a mustard seed faith. Which if you've been at church for any part of your life, you've heard this, right? So you go to the parable of the mustard seed. He puts another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. So he starts off with this mustard seed parable and says it starts the tiniest of seeds. But when you plant it and you take care of it and it grows, it can become huge like a tree. So he's talking about the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. So he said first, the kingdom of heaven is compared to a good man that plants good seed, and an enemy comes in to plant bad. But the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a mustard seed, a small, the smallest of seeds. But if it's planted and nurtured and it grows, it will become so strong and so big that others will be able to rest in the wings and the branches of your faith. He continues on. The parable of leaven, which leaven is a rising agent, correct? So to, in our culture, we would say, oh, it's like yeast, but not quite. It's leaven. So what would happen is you would only have a certain amount of leaven. And so every day, if you make bread in this culture, you'd probably make bread daily or at least every other day. You would save a ball of your dough that had leaven in it. And so the next day when you made the next batch of flour, you made the next batch of dough, you would take that small spot and you would knead it throughout the rest. And that would allow that bread to rise and become bread. It would allow it to, to happen. So then every day you were saving a ball of the dough from the day before, or the two days before, and using it. So it's very powerful. Once it hits the dough, brand new flour mixed in, you throw this in, it spreads. So that's, they would all understand this. They all had seen mustard. They all saw mustard seeds. They all understood what leaven was. They're making bread every day. Not like us, where if I need to make bread, it requires a drive to Walmart. And it's made for me. 
in a miraculous fashion. I don't know anything about leaven, right? So the idea is that it spreads throughout the loaf. It spreads throughout the mixture. So Jesus says, He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So the kingdom of heaven is compared to a man who sows good and an enemy that sows evil. But the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed and it's like leaven in bread. And if you're like me, I should have said like, if you are similar to me, then you go, what? What, does, what, what are you saying, Jesus? Like I have a great affinity for the disciple Thomas. I don't think he was a doubter. I think we misread him completely. I think he just didn't, he didn't want the parables. Just tell me what to do. He just wanted it spelled out for him. Well, Jesus is addressing a couple different people. First, he's talking about the expectation of the end of the age. I don't think this is overtly about unbelievers in the church. I know that that's how it gets preached. I'm probably guilty. I don't want to go back and listen to how I preached this several years ago. Because I probably did that. I probably had a strong kind of altar call. And some of you in this room are just here faking it. You know, I, I, I probably went that way. But I, I was wrong then. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Now, he is saying there's an end coming. There's an end of the age. There's an end of the church age. It's described in Revelation 19. We know that Jesus is coming back. When he comes back, there's judgment. He's coming to separate the believers from the non-believers. We know that. But I don't think it's, I don't think he's driving home this point. Though we need to have a hurry up and have an altar call, make some of you doubt your salvation, make those of you that are kind of on the fence or trying to figure out who Jesus is, your hearts haven't been opened to the gospel yet, to drive you away. I don't think that's what Jesus is doing here. I think he's giving us some hope. But this crowd would have heard this. They would have heard these parables and been blown away. Number one, most Jewish rabbis never talked about hell. They didn't talk about it. They knew there was judgment. They knew that there was eternity, but that most of them never talked about hell. Jesus talked about hell more than anyone else in the scriptures. He described it as the, the Greek term is Gehenna, which is a physical place outside Jerusalem. It's the trash deep. It's a trash dump. Not like our landfill where they just pile it up and it blows away. They're working on it. They're working on it. But, but it's a place where you burnt your trash. It's also a place where they sacrifice babies to the god Molech, a pagan god where they would take children under the age of two and you would sacrifice your child to the god Molech. And so this is a place where children were killed. It's a place where um, convicts, after they came off the cross, they threw their bodies into the pit. And so you had rotting flesh, you had uh, sacrifice of children, you had fires that never went out because you went and dumped your trash there. It's a constant smoldering place of death and destruction and the sacrifice of kids. So we can do a study of hell, and is it really a lake of fire? Is it really? All? We can have that conversation. But the point is, it's a place that none of us would ever want to be. It's a place where there's an absence of hope, an absence of God, and there's eternal suffering. There's eternal torment. Well, he's talking about an evil one. And he's talking about an end of the age. He's talking about there's going to be a reaping, and there's going to be people thrown into the fires. These crowds had never heard this before. What? I don't get to just live my life and go to the temple on Sundays or Saturdays, go to the temple and just go home and my life's all great? I actually have to have a relationship with G. What? 
So they're blown away by this. They're totally floored that there's an incoming and you were held responsible. He gives us the answers, thankfully. He explains it to us. So if you read, I didn't put it all on the screen. So he does this and he tells about, in verse 34, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So he's fulfilling the prophets. He's not just going to spell this out to everyone. He's, he wants people to inquire. He wants people's hearts to come after him. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. Now, isn't that just like how we are as humans? You talked about mustard seed and there's some faith things in there. You talked about leaven. But what I really want to know is, how's it all going to end? Right? Isn't there a collective obsession in our culture with the end of the world? Is it the Yellowstone supervolcano is going to blow up? The buffalo are running down the road. We're all doomed, right? You've all seen it on Facebook. It's all over YouTube. There's been more activity. There's been more earthquakes. We're all dead, right? It's constant. Well, this means this. If, if, If we were to put in the newspaper an ad saying that we're going to teach through the book of Revelation, the house would be packed. I promise you, I've seen it happen. I've seen people that can't teach the Bible properly stand up in front of people because they've read some silly book and say, I know about the book of Revelation. And they'll pack a house, put like billboards up and banners and all these things and say, here's the serpent, here it is. And like, ah, we're obsessed with it. We're obsessed with it. Well, Jesus is going to tell us what he means. The disciples want to know. They don't want to hear about the leaven. They don't hear about the mustard seed. They want to hear about the end. So he's going to tell us. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. So he tells us. So in this parable, the man is the son of man. It's Jesus, son of God, the Messiah. They might not have identified him yet as the Messiah, but he's speaking specifically about the Messiah. The Messiah sows good seed. The field is the world. So that's why it's really difficult to twist this parable to say it's about you and church who don't believe. Or it's for you in church who are just here faking it. It's for you in church to just show up and you have the necklace and you got the fish on your car and you're just here, but are you really a believer? It's, I don't think this parable addresses that. Like earlier in Matthew, he says that. I mean, Jesus says there's going to come a day during the judgment or I'm going to look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Or I'm going to say, I never knew you. Who are you? Like it's there, but it's not in this parable. So he says the world is the whole world. And the man sows good seeds of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age and the reapers are angels. So he just, he just like, he hands it to you on a silver platter. Oh, you want to know who the, who the enemy is? He, he's, it's the devil. Oh, cool. I'm not trying to figure that out. Uh, who's going to be the end of the world? Who's going to be the reapers? Who gets to judge people? Not you, angels. Man, I really like to judge people. That's like my spiritual gift is judgment. <laughs> Missed it. So he, but he's laying this out. But this is revolutionary. It's revolutionary to the people hearing this. Because they're saying there is a judgment coming. There's a day coming where there are no second chances. There's a day coming where he's going to come back. The Son of Man comes back. And there's a day of judgment. 
And on that day, it's not going to be pretty. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Who has ears? Let them hear. So a couple things. Number one, throughout the New Testament, it's very clear that final judgment, the judgment of your soul, the judgment of whether you are a a believer in Christ or not, that is squarely reserved for God. That's squarely reserved for God. That he is the final judgment. You and I aren't. But also through the New Testament... It's also very clear that we're called to hold our brothers and sisters accountable. Like you read every letter that Paul wrote, even Jesus. You know that passage, I mean, I've, we've talked about it before, where he says, where two or three are gathered, I'm there. That's, that's not about small groups or house church. That's about going to your brothers and sisters and holding them accountable. Read the rest of the passage. It's in Matthew 15, I believe. What he's saying is, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm with you as you go to tell people their sin is wrong and they should repent and turn away. He's not saying that two or three of you in a car, that makes a church, so you don't have to go to church on Sunday mornings or be part of a community. That's not what he's saying. He's saying is that when you go to judge people, when you go to hold them accountable for their sin, he's in it. He's involved in accountability. But what he's clearly saying is final judgment, that's not for you. So how's that work in the church? Well, it means that our church has to have an open door to anybody that comes in this place. Anybody. No matter where you're at, no matter what you struggle with, no matter who you are, everyone is welcome to come into this place. And as you become part of our fellowship of believers, you become part of the body of the church, you become a part of who we are as a church, then you open yourself up to us speaking truth into your life. So you can come into here with whatever mess of we want to put on our billboard, whatever sin you want to say, and you're welcome in this place, wherever you're at. Jesus wants you right where you're at. He's not looking for some future pretty version of you. He wants you right now. But he loves you enough to walk you towards the truth. So you come into this place, your life's a wreck, full of sin, full of doubt, full of we're going to love you, we're going to care for you, we're going to preach the gospel to you, we're going to take great care of you. And you profess a faith in Jesus. He's awakened your heart. And you've got stuff that's... Then we get to speak truth into you. So the idea in the church that only God can judge me, you're right. Only God can judge you at the end of the age. He is the author of salvation. He's the author of your condemnation. If you're not a believer in him, it's his. But until then, you come to me and say, Mike, I've been, I've been cheating on my wife. But only God can judge me. No, I'm going to judge you right now. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. The Bible says this is wrong. You must repent of your sin. If you don't tell your wife tonight, I'm telling her we're taking care of this now. But only God can judge me. Only he can. Can I, do I have to show you the rest of the scriptures to talk about taking your brother and confessing sin and taking them before the elders of the church? Like, do we have to go all through that? There's a difference. And the church has tried to dance this dance and we mess it up. Because what the church has done is for so long judged everybody. You walk in the building and you have not the right shirt on. If there is a right shirt. If you don't have the right job. 
you don't have the right family dynamic. I mean, the Barry children are perfect. <laughs> right? There's no problems. There's no issues. They're just pleasant children. They never rebel against their parents. They never cause any of you to wonder, what the heck is that guy doing at home? Nothing. And so then because no adult children are like mine, then someone comes in and their kid lips off in the hallway. All of a sudden I start going, oh, I don't know if they know how to parent. I don't know. Right? Or there's tension in the marriage, and, and I'm going to step in and say, hey, I don't know what's going on with you. I don't think you're saved because you and your wife had a fight. That's crazy. But instead, as a brother, I'll come in and go, I noticed some tension. Is there something I can do? I can pray. Should we have some lunch? Should we talk? I see you're struggling. I, I just, I sense this about you. I see when you walk in, you didn't walk in with a smile like you usually have. What's going on? I care deeply about you, so let's talk. Right? Or because someone doesn't show up in church for two or three weeks, we immediately go, well, you know, they probably never were a believer anyway. And you know we're like that. You know we're like that. Instead of saying, I haven't seen you in a while. I miss you. Is there something going on? Can I help? Right? So we're not taking out that there's a final judgment. Because what the church does is either we judge everybody that walks in the door, or then we say, there's no judgment. Do you, do you breathe? You get to go to heaven, right? Don't we do that? Isn't that how the church is swung? We're going to judge everything everyone does and say you're wicked, or we're going to say, it's not my right to say anything, so I'm just going to let you do whatever you want. And the truth is in the middle. Ultimate judgment is God's. As a family, we live life together. We should call it accountability, not judgment. One thing I want you to see, who is the author of this? Who brings judgment? Who sends it? Who sends the angels? The Son of Man, Jesus, the Messiah. So we have to get out of our theology, we have to get out of our heads that God, the Father, is mean-spirited, like Father Time with big white beard and a little bit of Zeus thrown in with a lightning bolt, that he's mean. And Jesus is like the rebellious son. He's like Prometheus in Greek mythology. He rebels against Zeus and he just, you know, takes fire down to the mere humans. And that's who we love. I want me a whole lot of Jesus, but none of that wrath of God. None of that. Who's sending judgment? Jesus. Jesus sends the judgment. Jesus sends the angels. Revelation 19. He comes riding on a horse with the sword out of his mouth, speaking judgment. He's got a tattoo on his leg and he's got a white robe with blood dipped at the bottom. Like Jesus brings judgment. And it happens like this. There's no like, get your stockpile of weapons from the snowies and we're going to fight the battle of Armageddon. That doesn't happen. He shows up, he speaks, and it's over. It's a recreation of Genesis. God spoke the world into existence. Jesus speaks the new world into existence. It's coming full circle. Reclaiming of creation. So, don't forget this. This isn't, some people have this theology that God's mean, but Jesus is buddy Jesus, and he would never judge me. He loves me. That's why we say all the time that at the cross is where you see the wrath of God collide with the grace and mercy of, of God. So his wrath was poured onto his son, and his son extends his arms with grace and mercy to us all. That's why you, the cross has to happen. Jesus has to be the atoning sacrifice for our faith. He has to be, because without it, we're still under judgment. 
So he tells us a couple things. The seed planted by Jesus, God as his Father, he calls the righteous, and one day we're going to shine. The sons of the evil one are sown by Satan. They do evil. The ultimate destruction awaits them. So when you have the big question, what is the root of evil? Like, why is there evil? Why is he telling us this? He tells us that pride is the root of all evil. When we begin to say that we're in charge. God says, don't eat from this tree. Who's God? He just made me. He's nothing. I can eat that. That's where it starts. Today, we see it like this. Church, Bible, I got some education in my belt. I know how to read. I'm not going to submit myself to the authority of this book. It's just a book. I could write my own page. I've literally had someone sit down with me and say, the Bible's pretty good, but it's not very well written. I could have written it better myself. And I'm like going, I don't want to be near you. That's crazy talk. Like, you get that kind of arrogance that comes out? Not like, I can't, I can't trust it. I'm not sure. Can you explain to me the, histori- the historical nature of it? Can you prove that it wasn't just twisted? Can you show me the original sources? I'm just, I can't just jump into something and I'm just going to believe because my daddy told me. I can handle that. But to someone to say, that's, I, I got this. I can figure this out on my own. That's crazy talk. So he talks about our pride. And essentially our pride at its core is we want people to love us. We want to be approved by other people. Those of you young enough and that care enough to have things like Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat or all those things that you have, how often do people care about those profile pictures? And how often do we notice when they get changed? Did you see that, bro? Right? I want the best picture. There's some funny websites out there where people are taking like that picture of themselves in the bathroom. And there's like stuff in the mirror behind them they don't even know is happening. And like you got your selfie fail and they're, some of them are disgusting, but they're pretty funny. Like we're, uh, we're overly obsessed with how we look to people. The right clothes, the right way our face looks, got a makeup industry, plastic surgery industry, all these things about our appearance and how we look and our pride and I'm in charge of my life and nobody's going to tell me what to do. That that's the root of our evil. Because we consistently are walking away from the faith of God. Which is humility. When you have the king of the universe, God the son and Jesus steps out of heaven in perfect community in the Trinity. He didn't need us, but he wanted us. And steps out of heaven to be with us? That's a level of humility I don't think any of us understand. That he willingly gave up his seat in heaven for you. So how could the core of our faith be about your selfish desires? It can't be. So here's the hope. I told you we're going to get there. So let's drive all this home. The parable of the seeds, the parable of the, of the weeds in the wheat, is very clear there's only one way to live. There's only one way to life. There's only one way, and it's through faith in Jesus Christ. So he's telling us, this is, he's explaining to us, this is why evil happens. In a parable. Not, we can get way more theological and get into 1 Peter, and, but at the core he's saying, the Son of God sowed good. The enemy sows evil. 
And it's not going to end until the end of the age. Why is there pain? Why is there suffering? Why is there wickedness? How can these bad things happen from these people? How can students plot to blow up their school? How can these things happen? Why, God? And Jesus says, the Son of Man plants good seed. And the Son of Evil plants bad seed. And we could root it all out now, but if we rooted it all out now and we just weeded out all the weeds, we would invariably cut down some of the good. So instead, we're going to let it all grow together and the final judgment will be the judgment of God. Jesus will send the angels to reap the harvest. He's he's telling us that this isn't what he wanted. This isn't how he wants things. But it's how it has to be until the end. So when you cry out to God, why? Why did this person my family get cancer? Why did this person die in a car wreck? Why, why God? He's going to lovingly answer, I didn't want it this way. This isn't how he wants it. It's not how he wants it to be. But until he comes back, it's how it has to be. Because if he came back now, there'd be a lot of people who are far from God who would be caught up in the fire. And First Peter says he's holding back his hand of wrath so that all would come to faith in him. That he's holding back so we have a mission. Well, he gives us the mission that your faith starts small. Your faith starts very small like a mustard seed. I don't, do you guys remember that? Those who've been walking with Jesus for a while, it's been 20 years for me. And I remember the first time he opens my heart to the truth I took communion for the first time. It was at this little church in Vincennes, Indiana. And I remember being, it's very tiny, like something to cling to. It wasn't like all of a sudden I came to faith and I got it all. I understood. Hermeneutics was easy to me. Biblical, systematic theology, easy stuff. That didn't happen. Very slow, slow growth. Lots of pain, lots of questions, lots of doubt, but it never shook. And if I watered that seed with his word and community and worship, then I grow to the point where your faith grows to a place that you have branches that can bring other people into faith. When your family and friends are struggling, when people around you are in despair, you have grown to the place like a mustard seed that's turned to a tree that you can, people can find rest in you. You might not have all the answers, but they can look to you and go, how do you even have hope? How do you even get through the day? And you could tell them it started really small. It was really tiny and I didn't really understand things. But as I grew and I grew more knowledge of him and I grew more to trust him. Now I can bring other people in. I can bring other people in. Then he tells us about the leaven. So see this progression. Bad things happen, but there's only one way to live. The way of righteousness of the Son of God. It can start very small, but don't have fear. Just because you don't know the Bible in and out, because you don't have the most eloquent of prayers, because you don't have, you know, you still struggle with things you struggled with 10 years ago, that doesn't mean that you aren't a child of God. It means that you need to water the plant. Don't give up, don't lose heart. And eventually, our faith will be like leaven. And it will spread into everything. 
how awesome would it be as a church if we rightly sat under the theology of the church for 2,000 years that says we aren't in control of our lives, God's in control. We aren't the, we aren't the ones who do the final judgment, God does that. But as we're here, we're going to hold each other accountable, we're going to live together as a family, and we're going to grow. We're going to take the small mustard seed of new faith, and we're going to have good soil and good water for it to grow. And we're going to take those who have a large faith are going to wrap their arms around the people with the younger faith. And together, as we grow, we're going to spread. We're going to spread in this community. We're going to spread to the world. Is that a beautiful picture of hope? If we just look at the... I mean, if we're just honest, if we can be honest in church... Isn't the whole like parable of the wheat and the wheat, isn't that kind of depressing? Isn't it kind of heavy? Like if you walk in or happy about judgment, then I got, I'm worried about you. Like you're happy about people going to hell, I'm worried about you. But then we see the hope. So what about my friends who don't know? What about my family that's far from them? If you could just get them to have the faith of a mustard seed. To share your life with them enough where they start asking how do you do this? How do you live with this? How do you make it through? It starts really tiny, and I'll help you. I'll help you grow. And then together as you grow, you spread like wildfire. Probably wrong analogy for this season in this area. You spread like leaven and bread. To where everyone gets it. How amazing would that be in this town? Whether it's on the campus, across the street, it's in the community of Laramie itself, when the students go away for the summer, that we still grow, that we grow individually. Like, it's a very individual thing. You individually grow. I can't force you to grow. You grow individually. And then you let other people rest in your faith, and then you spread your faith. He's laying out the the gospel plan. He's laying out his plan that's existed for 2,000 years. He picked a bunch of Doubting punks, 12 guys who one was clearly a weed the whole time and was with him. I mean, Judas sat under the teachings of God and he didn't get it. He was an instrument of evil planted with all of the good. And he took those and it, the church spread in 200 years to be the whole Mediterranean. Did he have this mass marketing campaign? Did he go make some flyers? How did the church grow? Individuals, individually growing and spreading the name of Jesus. And it's exactly how the kingdom of heaven will grow in Laramie. Each of us taking personal responsibility for our growth and then sharing our faith with people around us. So I don't do this. I only have ever done it here. Just to have a full out altar call. And I, I really don't even believe in them. Um, I think it's a fad of the church the last hundred years. We have a center aisle. I want you to come forward. Um, that's not how the church has functioned for 2,000 years. Just the last hundred. But there are times when you need to do business with the Lord. And sometimes we give you space to sit in your seat, and that's great. That's how I prefer it. You have space because your faith is very individual. But I just want to give an extra call. That if there's something you need to pray about, there's something that you just burdening you down. I don't want you walk. I say it every week. Don't walk out here carrying this weight. 
When Jesus talks about his yoke being light, he's not talking about a yoke of an oxen. He's talking about the teachings of the rabbis. It was called the yoke. Every rabbi would interpret the scriptures, and they would put rules down. And it was called the yoke of the rabbi. He's not talking about an oxen. He's talking about the teachings of Jesus. And he says, my yoke is light. There's not a bunch of rules in this. It's just Jesus. Do you submit your life to him and let him grow you? So during this last song, um, if you want to pray, if you want to talk to me, if you want to set up some coffee time, if you want to pray with one of the elders, if you want to pray with someone near you and you just want to confess, you want to profess a faith, I, just, I want to give an extra strong kind of, let's, let's, don't let this go. Don't walk out of here as a small mustard seed who feels you don't have good flesh or good, good soil to grow. Walk out of here knowing that he's got you in a place right where he expected you to be. And it's just time for you to cling to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we have together. Um, and thank you for the, the constant hope I find in your word. If we would just tap in to the source of your spirit, if we would just allow the spirit that dwells in us to help us to grow, we would be unstoppable. And I honestly don't know, Lord, how, how people get through the tragedies and the heaviness of life without you. That in you we find our hope. That in you we can, we can know that at the end of the age we're going to be with you for eternity. So Lord, during this last song, um, or after church, while we're eating cake in the back room, um, if if there's anybody that needs to talk, to share what you're doing in their hearts, to profess a faith in you for the first time, then I pray they'd share that. Not, no church that puts you first is going to make lists of salvations and put notches on belts. That is wicked and wrong. But if we want to be a church that helps mustard seeds of faith grow, then we have to. We have to know. We have to know what to do, how to help, how to be active, how to pray, how to... So if anyone wants to profess that, wants to share with someone in this room, I pray it begins this relationship where people would call on your name, would hold each other accountable, and would grow. Because the ultimate goal, Lord, is for us to grow big enough to where we can bring more and more people into your midst. That our faith would grow and have branches that can take the weight of people's sin and take the weight of people's lives as they grow like we grew. So help us, Lord. Help us to feel your presence in the room and help us be moved to your heart. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand.